What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm here with Jimmy to help you crush your goals in real estate and more on this episode. So, guys, on this episode, uh, we brought in a local investor or somewhat local to, to our geographic location. His name is Matt Pacheni, and this is episode 23 of the Cashflow Kings. So, Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me uh, aboard, guys. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to have you here as well. So, I, Frank, I know that you've spent a lot more time with Matt. Uh, maybe you can dive into his background a little bit, and Matt, maybe you can fill in the gaps where Frank misses some cool things. So uh, I won't say that much. I'd rather have Matt talk about it, but I, I know he was originally from Florida. Then he lived in New York for a long time, and now he's hanging up in Boston, and he's done a lot of different types of jobs. Uh, Matt, why don't you just talk directly? Yeah, sure. Um, again, thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. Really, really happy to be here. I know Jimmy a little bit, but Frank and I have, have, have gotten to know each other quite a bit, um, hanging out uh, in the Boston area at a lot of different meetups, and um, it's been it's been great to get to know Frank. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Florida, like Frank mentioned. I moved to New York City, um, and, and I lived in New York for about 25 years. I originally moved to New York to go to a musical theater conservatory and, and graduated from from that program and was a professional actor for about five years. And then, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And then I, I had started tinkering around with computers and uh, this was, you know, just as the internet was really sort of evolving and websites were becoming a thing. We're talking like late nineties now, mid to late nineties. And uh, I started getting involved in that and have quite an entrepreneurial spirit and actually have my own, company developing websites, a small boutique agency in New York. Um, then the dot-com bubble burst um, and then 9-11 happened. And I, w um, I got brought in house at Showtime Networks, the, the television, you know, the cable television channel. Nice. Um, worked there for about five years. They had been a client of mine. They offered me a position in house and it was just a, a rough time in, 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 in the business. <laughs> so I did yeah. that. Um, after about five years there, I really wanted to get back more into this sort of transactional, uh, robust, really, uh, you know, website development. Um, and that's when I uh, started working at some advertising agencies, actually. Um, I got recruited to work over at a, at a big agency in New York. And then for about 17 years there, I sort of uh, worked at a number of different agencies and climbed my way up the corporate ladder to eventually becoming a a vice president at, a, at an agency. Um, and that was great. Um, you know, my role at the agency uh, was, was in a project management track. So I was really in charge of making sure things got done on budget, on time, and at the highest quality possible. And that's a grind, um, right? That, I mean, that, that's a tough, tough arena to play in. Well, it's a tough arena to play in. You know, I, I, I guess I just have kind of the mindset for that. And I actually really uh, enjoyed it uh, and got to a point where, you know, I, I had a, you know, this PMI certification and was, you know, as a vice president, I was client facing and basically overseeing teams um, doing this work and, and, and very large teams, you know, up to like 100 people uh, on, on projects for Verizon and Coca-Cola and IBM. 
Um, and it was really fun. We did really cool, interesting work. Uh, I think the thing that, the reason why I like sort of the website development and then digital marketing was I got to work with a lot of creative people. So yep. while I have that creative side to myself, I'm also a very sort of um, <laughs> organized, almost OCD kind of guy. I'm very sort of Love like it. analytical. And so I was I able to that. sort of do the project management stuff, which is kind of like very analytical sort of paint by the numbers, but also hang out with the cool kids. So uh, it, it was a great, it was a great blend for me. Um, during, during my time, you know, in New York, in the advertising world, I actually met my wife who is involved in theater. Um, and uh, we got married and had a kid and um, she got a really cool job opportunity actually completely out of the blue down in Miami. And we went down to Miami for a couple of years. And that was the point where I uh, transitioned from doing the, uh, you know, full-time advertising um, and moved into real estate full-time. I had been doing real estate part-time for about 10 years, sort of as a hobby, like a little thing that I did on the side once in a while. But um, with, with the transition, with the move, you know, fortunately we had done well with some investments we had made both on the real estate and also some theatrical things um, that uh, I, I moved into that full time. And so we were in Miami for about two years when Erica got recruited for an opportunity up here in Boston. And, you know, we liked Miami, but we didn't love it. We have a lot more friends and family in the Northeast. Got so it. we came up to Boston about almost two and a half years ago and we absolutely love it up here. Um, it, it's a, it's a great place. And, um, you know, uh, that's kind of the, the, the beginnings for me. <laughs> I love it. So I think the, the biggest theme that I'm hearing is the multiple pivots throughout your career and not only on, you know, on your career side, but on your personal side as well. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important skill for folks to pick up on is that even, you know, as you head down your journey, everyone's journey, everyone's journey is going to be different, but your ability to pivot can really lead you to success more quickly when you see the opportunity. So I think like even one of the coolest points that you, that you talk through is um, when your wife got that job opportunity in Miami, when you had a child and were growing a family, but you recognize it was best for your family. So you, you headed down to Miami and most folks may find some difficulty in, in making that decision. Oh, it was a difficult decision, Jimmy. <laughs> it was a super <laughs> difficult decision. We had moved to Brooklyn um, about a, a year, a little over a year prior to that. And we had renovated a townhome in Brooklyn and we were like set, we were good. Yeah. Um, but this opportunity, you know, was, you know, at, at the time it was a phenomenal opportunity for my wife, right? It right. ended up now in hindsight being a phenomenal opportunity for me, but we never would have, I don't think we, we realized that that was even a thing. It was like, this is phenomenal opportunity for Erica. There's not as many opportunities where in the, in the type of thing that she does um, as there was for me. And, and you're right. I mean, we, we looked at it. I got there. I assessed the situation and I figured it was time to pivot um, and, and, and pursue a passion. I, I was kind of burned out quite honestly from the, you know, having worked in the corporate world for, you know, over 20 years. I hear that. I didn't put it in 20, but I put it enough to be burnt out for sure. So <laughs> I, I hear that. 
Um, so you, you talked a, a little bit about how um, real estate had always been like a side hustle. Yeah. So, so what were some of the things that you're doing as you had your corporate job and, and had that side hustle? Yeah. Well, the, the way that it worked for me, I had started um, doing a little bit of uh, real estate in terms of my personal residence. And, um, you know, this was in New York. Um, it was also at a really good time in the market. Um, but I, I started to see that I was actually making quite a profit moving from one place to another. Um, and I had some additional capital that I was looking to deploy. Um, at the time, you know, I was working a nine to five. I was maxing out my 401k. Um, so I was looking, you know, being that I was involved in the website development business, I had a unique opportunity where I would get like, you know, side hustle type job, like little moonlighting is what yep. I used to call them jobs where someone would need a website or need something done. And I could do that. And I could do that on the nights and weekends, you know, and at the time I was single, uh, I didn't have a family. So it was kind of easy for me to do. And I'd get a nice little chunk of change. So that, that had happened. I had worked on a project and had a nice little chunk of change and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. Quite honestly, um, it's funny now I know like a thousand financial advisors, but at the time I didn't have one. None of my friends really had any financial advisors. And I just, I wanted to put my money in a mutual fund is what I was looking for, but I didn't even nice. know how to do that. Okay. I just didn't know, um, where to go or what to do. Right. And what ended up happening was a friend of mine, father was a realtor and he needed a website. And I started looking at this property in, in Connecticut. Um, in North, uh, Northwest Connecticut, and um, because they sell a lot of property in that area, so they wanted me to look at this area. And it just so happened that they, they had a number of listings in the area, and one of them was for a piece of raw land. And all of a sudden, light bulb went off in my head, and I was like, well, I'll buy this, this land. Um, and then, over time, I uh, built a house. You know, it was filled with trees. It was about an acre of land. So then I, I designed a house by myself, uh, working with a builder, and then we got an architect to stamp it, and then we, we built the house, which was a Oops. phenomenal learning experience. And this is all while you're living in New York, right? This is while I was living in New York. It was about a two-hour door-to-door um, drive. You, <laughs> so that was perfect, because you, you picked up exactly where I was headed with that. And that's not always a clean two-hour ride, right? Uh, most of the time it was okay, but yeah, no, if you hit traffic, <laughs> especially coming back into New York, uh, yeah. it, could, it could be, especially like on a weekend, it could be kind of crazy. Yeah. So Jimmy, Matt, Matt is one of those people. Most of us are putting like using about 10% of our brain, but think about all the artistic and the analytical that Matt's putting together. And he's another one of those 26 hour kind of people in a day. If you ever know. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is like, uh, when you're telling your story, what I was, what would kind of struck a chord with me is you're talking about um, as you're the project manager and, and you're really like playing two roles. Like you want to hang out with the cool kids, but you also have to keep people on track. Right. Yeah. So there's a book called Rock, rocket fuel and they talk about how um, there's really two roles that folks can play as they're running a business. And as a project manager, you're kind of running your business to get that project done on time for the right amount of money and all the things that you'd shared. Um, but the two roles are playing integrator or being the visionary, right? So visionary is more like hanging out with the cool kids, getting the cool ideas, but then integrator is making sure that all the things are on track. Yeah. And I think that for entrepreneurs, it is really important. So there's a test online. If you Google rocket fuel and you look up 
um, uh, the author of the book, uh, they also wrote another book called Traction. Um, and maybe, maybe two guys who wrote the, this book, but um, take that test and understand if you play better as an integrator or better as the visionary. And then you're going to, it's going to teach you a lot about yourself, but then that'll help you build success in the partnerships that you seek, whether it be in real estate and business or in life. Yeah. I think so, traction is a uh, Gino Wickman, maybe. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So those two books are great. I read Rocket Fuel first, but you're supposed to read Traction first. I read them backwards. Um, <laughs> all, all good takeaways. Um, but the biggest one was understanding whether you're an integrator or visionary. So I'm more of that visionary role and I yeah. can play integrator, but playing integrator is like incredibly tiring to me. Um, okay. I can do it, but I can't do it well for an extended period of time, but short bursts, I can, <laughs> I can tackle it. Um, so I think just having the entrepreneurial mindset and understanding the difference between both um, can help you understand and lead you to a higher level of success. Agreed. He already has a high level of success, but it's just going to make him more amazing. Oh, well, yeah. So I wasn't trying to push that on that, but no, I know. To, the, to the listeners, if there's something, if there's a golden nugget you can take away here, I think it's important to understand the, the dichotomy between the two roles. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check out both of those, but I never heard of them. So thank you for, for, for mentioning those. I'm definitely going to check them out. They sound really exciting. If you go back to our Instagram, uh, we have uh, the highlights. Uh, you can actually see a whole bunch of our book recommendations. Both of those are on there too. Oh, awesome. We should almost develop like a Cashflow Kings book list. That, that'd be pretty cool. There you go. That's another thing we can work yeah, on all, yeah. all our free time. <laughs> yes. I'll have one of my VAs do it. <laughs> So Matt, you, you close your first deal, you develop the house, do you sell it on the back end and where do you wind up from there? I, I, I built the house and um, I used it. So I, you know, I was living in New York City at the time. So it was nice to have sort of a, a vacation home, which was the initial intent. What I didn't realize, I knew there would be demand uh, from a rental perspective during the summer. What I didn't realize is, hey, in October, you know, it's right near Route 7. It's like on the National Historic register for like leaf peeping if you will you know yeah nice. nice so all of a sudden all these people wanted to rent it in october and i'm like oh that's great and then all of a sudden i started getting all these requests for the winter because it's literally like three minutes down the road from mohawk mountain which is a a small small mountain but if you have like little kids and you live in new york city it's probably the closest place to new york city to go that's like a somewhat decent mountain where like little kids can learn how to ski so nice. all of a sudden i have demand for this property pretty much year round so it be actually became more of a rental property than in a vacation awesome. home um and and then when i found out uh, doing taxes my first year with my accountant she's like hey you know you you barely used it at all this year you know you you only used it like you know a week or two you know she's like make sure you always keep it under two weeks and you know then we can classify it as a rental property you know if you if you actually end up not using it from you know she's like if you want to use it as a vacation home by all means do but if you keep it to 14 days or less or maybe it's less than 14 days which is what it ended up being naturally anyhow then all of a sudden boom i have a rental property and and the the tax benefits that go along with that so awesome. that was my first foray somewhat accidentally, if you will, into uh, having a rental property. And I did, I sold it last year, um, you know, over, over 
time, um, and I, I don't even live in the city anymore, but uh, for, for a number of different reasons, we just, we weren't really using it. It was never bought with the intention of being a rental property. If I had it to do over again now with the knowledge I have now, never would have done it. It's not <laughs> a huge moneymaker, was a phenomenal learning experience um, and, and really kind of set the course. Little did I know to what I'm doing now, but I had no idea that it was setting me on that path. Yeah. And again, multiple pivots to get to that outcome. Right. True. So just, True. just, just really cool. Really cool. I, I, I admire your adaptability and the ability oh, to learn thanks. quickly and, and, and work through those things because vacation rentals are not easy. You make it sound like it's all rainbows and butterflies. Oh, um, no. I would no. never do a vacation rental again. There's people who are doing it and then are successful and have a, you know, a, a whole method and process that they're using. Uh, but it was, it was quite time consuming. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I let go of the property. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely good money to be made there, but whole heck of a lot of work to go along with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, would you consider syndications to be easier? Um, In some yes. ways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is with the syndications that I do, I hire a, a team of, um, of professionals, right? So I always hire third party property management. So we'll have, you know, three, four or five employees that are full time working on a particular property. Um, <clears throat> this property, which has always been a minimum of two hours away from where I live, it's, it's two and a half hours now, but when I was in Miami, it was even further. Um, and I didn't have a team of professionals. I mean, I had my friend's father, who's a realtor, who could once in a while help out, but gaining access to the property, needing to call in different vendors to fix different things along the way. It was quite cumbersome, quite time consuming cleanings in between, you know, all of those kinds of things where you, you really need somebody to have, you know, their boots on the ground. And <clears throat> I didn't really have that there. Um, yep. I, I don't have that in my syndications, but again, I have a full-time team. Well, when you have a larger multifamily, you can, the price per unit of being able to have a team is a lot less than That's true. Know, having that one rental. Correct. 100%. There you go. So besides uh, syndications, though, one of, the, one of the reasons why we want to have you on the podcast is an awesome way to uh, produce cash flow that might be a little riskier, uh, and that's uh, Broadway shows. Yeah. You know, they, they say uh, you can't make a living investing in Broadway, but you can make a killing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the thing with the Broadway stuff and, and I, I love Broadway and I, I have a passion and, and interest in it, um, you know, as a, um, as a fan, right? Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I think I put on my Facebook that I'm a music and theater aficionado, right? I just, I love music. You know, I, I play quite terribly guitar and ukulele and uh, you know, a few different instruments. I love singing. I just, I love music. I really love theater. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to invest in things and sort of help um, different artistic things come to life um, is, is something that's important to me and is, uh, you know, uh, fulfilling uh, to my soul. Uh, 
and sometimes it can be fulfilling to my pockets and sometimes it leaves my pockets empty. Right. So more um, of a passion than a guaranteed moneymaker. Yeah. But like, it, like they said, you can make a killing. I mean, think about the people who invested in uh, Phantom of the Opera, which has been running on Broadway for, I don't know, like 40 years or something like that. Like they've got to be, have made, you know, their initial investment back like a million times or something. I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the stats, but you know, once in a while, you get you can get one that's really successful. Most of the shows on Broadway are not a financial success. Um, you know, the majority of them are not. Um, you know, being that my wife, you know, I, I have a background in in the business. My wife actively works in the business and has for many many years. Um, we 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 know a lot of people. Um, and uh, we're able to, you know, we sort of have this three-pronged approach that, that, that we do when we're, we're looking to invest in one of these projects. And because of that, we're able to, um, I think, you know, pick things that we feel have a better chance of a success than others. Um, and, uh, you know, we've lost money in shows. We've lost a significant amount of money in shows. We've also made way more than we've ever lost in shows, right? It's almost like a, a investing in venture capital or, you know, being an angel investor where you know, you know, you're going to invest in some things that are going to be flops, but, you know, you hit the one Twitter or the Facebook, right? And then all the, or the Instagram, you know, and all of a sudden it, it covers more than just your losses. And that's sort of the approach that we use. We're not investing in everything. We're very selective about what we do, but we do more than just one. Nice. Yeah. So uh, maybe you can tell us about uh, one or two uh, that you've invested in. Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. So, you know, I, I mentioned we have this sort of three prong approach. So what we do when we're looking at a Broadway show to decide if we're going to invest in it, we're looking at three things. We're looking at Who's the creative team? You know, the director, um, the, the, the music, you know, who, who wrote the show, um, the things sort of on the creative side, choreographer, maybe, maybe the cast. If there's, there's notables in the cast, it doesn't mean they need to necessarily be stars, but they might be, you know, Broadway people that we know. Um, right. and, and the second thing we look at is uh, we look at the, the general manager of the team. That's kind of like looking at your sponsor and looking at your property management company. So we're looking at the producer and the general manager. And uh, we're, so we're looking at sort of what is their track record? Do they know how to, to handle things from a financial perspective, right? Um, and then we look at the show itself, which is like in real estate, looking at the, the real estate, like the property itself, right? So uh, those are the three things that we're looking at when we're looking at a show. And if we feel that all of those things have compelling reasons why we feel that this will be a success, we will go ahead and invest in it. And depending on, you know, what, how we feel about it, um, we may have an opportunity, depending on what the show is, to actually get involved and, and, um, and raise money for those shows and, and become, um, you know, uh, co-producers on the show, which is, is very similar to being a general partner in, in like a real estate syndication. I, I always, uh, um, you know, try to give an analogy, especially on these, these real estate minded podcasts where sort of, okay, how does this Broadway thing fit into a real estate syndication? Because a lot of people 
may understand the real estate syndication format, but not necessarily a Broadway show. So that's why I'm right. giving these analogies. Um, so, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have invested in, in, in a few different shows. Um, yeah, I'll start off with a failure. <laughs> we invested awesome. in, in a show called If Then, and, and it sounded great because, you know, it was written um, with Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkey, who had, who had done Next to Normal, which was a phenomenal show on Broadway. Uh, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Like, it was wow. a, just a great show. Loved, I loved the show. My wife was involved in that show uh, <clears throat> on the business side when she was working on Broadway. And, and, and we felt very good about it. And we knew the, the producers of the show. And so um, we, we invested in and actually raised capital for, for that, that show. And uh, it was starring Edina Menzel. So, you, you know, her, she was, you know, she was the lead in, in Wicked. She had been in the original cast of Rent. But you probably know her from Frozen, right? She was... She's saying, you know, let it go from the Frozen movie. Um, and she's, she's just very well known. And that movie was coming out right when, when the play was coming out, when the, the musical was coming out of then. So, so it sounds know, like the perfect storm of profit. And had all the ingredients, you know, and we didn't even know. We, we knew she had been in Frozen, but the, the movie had not been released. So we had no idea. And I don't think anybody had any idea that the show, the movie would be, uh, Frozen would be like, the huge cultural phenomenon that it ended up becoming. So, you know, here we are on Broadway and she's in the show and guess what, you know, this show ran for, for about a year and, and we lost some money. We didn't, we didn't lose our shirts, right? But it was not a profitable, uh, it was not profitable, unfortunately. So, uh, so you know, we, we unfortunately lost, lost some money in that show. Um, then the next show that we invested in was a little show that you may have heard of called Hamilton. Might and have, might have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> so Hamilton uh, did exceptionally well, um, erased any losses um, that we've ever had. Uh, you know, my wife has been investing in the theater for, for a lot longer than I have. And, um, you know, it, it, this thing is, um, is doing quite well. And, you know, the cool thing about investing in a originating Broadway show that becomes successful like a Hamilton is that as an investor, uh, you know, that, that, that originating Broadway company will get, um, you know, royalties from subsequent productions. But in, in most cases, you get the opportunity to, to invest uh, your same uh, pro rata share you have in the Broadway production on, on subsequent productions. So when you're looking at Hamilton, we have investments not only in, in the Broadway, but there's five other productions of it between the U.S. tours, the Chicago company, the London company, and then we've had the opportunity to get involved with sort of all of them. So, you know, that, that's a really uh, interesting and, and fun thing. And so, you know, right now um, we have, you know, besides Hamilton, which is running, we, Erica, my wife, and I are co-producers in in two shows that are running on Broadway. Uh, one of them is Moulin Rouge, which is, nice. is doing really well. Um, we've announced that in the next year or two, uh, we will be um, having subsequent productions of that. There's going to be a U.S. tour. Um, there's going to be a London production. Both of those will be next year. And then the following year, there'll be a production opening up in Australia. 
And we also are very excited to be involved in um, David Byrne's American Utopia. David Byrne was the lead singer for the Talking Heads. And so that's a limited engagement running on Broadway um, right now uh, through February 16th. It was just extended for four weeks because it did so well. It got, it just opened a couple of weeks ago, got phenomenal reviews in every publication known to man, including the New York Times, but like the Rolling Stone, Hollywood Reporter, you know, all of them. And uh, unfortunately, that theater's got another show coming in there. So we have to be out on February 16th. But um, it's, it's a really uh, interesting, cool, uh, really fun show. So um, it's been Absolutely. great. So what do you think? So what do you think like some of the largest takeaways are between um, producing and kind of syndicating Broadway shows and, and some of the things you do in real estate? What are some of the things that you've been able to take away back into real estate or back into other ventures um, that you've learned? Well, I mean, I think there's sort of that risk reward for, for me, you know, uh, the, the, Erica and I, you know, between Hamilton and Moulin Rouge, uh, that was uh, about, I think, three years before we got involved in Moulin Rouge. And then Moulin Rouge was like another year before it hit Broadway, um, which is the only reason why we have two shows on Broadway, because this, this David Byrne thing kind of came up quickly and, and it was a yep. phenomenal opportunity for us and, and went right to Broadway where Moulin Rouge was being developed for over a year. Um, and you know, that stuff, like I said, you you can't make a living out of it. So we're, we're selective about when we do it. Um, but the real estate thing is a little bit more of a, uh, bread and butter type of thing for me. It's a lot less risk. It's a lot less reward. Now, now the real estate investing can be very risky. You have to really do your due diligence on who you're investing with. I think that's more important than the property itself is who you're investing with. And then secondarily and very important is the property itself. Um, And so that, you know, there's kind of those parallels that I talked about in terms of vetting the people vetting the property. Um, But um, you know, I guess another parallel is the fact that, you know, I'm not always with the Broadway stuff. We're not always, co-producers, sometimes we'll just invest in it. You know, when I'm looking at my real estate portfolio, you know, 75% of my investments, I'm invested in over 2000 doors. And, and those are uh, 75% of that are deals that I'm a passive investor in. Now, all of those deals I've vetted, I've vetted the people, I've vetted the property. I feel good about it. I've gone ahead and invested in it. In terms of deals that I'm going to co-sponsor, I'm very selective about what I get involved with, um, almost sort of like the, the Broadway stuff, but it's a little, little more frequent than that. And, um, you know, those things I, I have to, to <laughs> spend a lot more time on. The passive investment, I just, I do the initial vetting, I write a check and, and that's it. Um, Matt. Yeah. Now, if someone wants to invest in one of your shows or yeah. one of the piece of real estate, um, yeah. I assume they have to be accredited, but um, how would they contact you? Well, that's not necessarily the case. Um, we do have opportunities, especially on the real estate side, where you can be a sophisticated investor and we could talk about what that means. I don't know if you've gone into it in depth. Um, we have talked about it a little bit. We'll okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you could reach out to me. Uh, my website is mjppg.com. You can also send me an email. It's Matt, M-A-T-T at mjppg.com. 
but I love talking with people about real estate and theater. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Plus, if awesome. you're in the Boston market, uh, why don't you give a shout out for your meetup group? Oh yeah, we have a great meetup. Uh, you know, last uh, last week we had about 200 people come. Um, it's it's a free event. Uh, we have different speakers every time. Um, there's a lot of networking that goes on. We meet once a month. Um, you can find out about that on my website as well or on Meetup. It's called the Multifamily Investors Network of Massachusetts. It's kind of a mouthful, uh, but we meet in Newton, Massachusetts, um, where it's accessible you know, by the public transportation or there's a big parking lot. It's at seven o'clock um, and, and we do it uh, once, once a month. So uh, you should come and, and, and Frank and Jimmy, I think you're gonna be guests at an upcoming event to be announced soon. Awesome. Definitely looking forward we'll to that. Happen. Uh, at some point, I definitely want to uh, invest in a show. I think uh, I'd have a better shot of doing it with someone with knowledge, experience like you than just throwing a dart at a wall. You know? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Thanks, Frank. I just want to make sure, and I, and I would say this to everyone, that you've got a strong stomach for some volatility in it. Um, but, but it's something, you know, if, if, you, if you like... Uh, theater, if you're passionate about it and, and you're, you're okay to dabble your toes in something that, that could have an amazing return but is extremely risky, then I think it's, it's, it's really fun. And it's great. You get to go to opening night and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. So it's, um, it's, it, 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 it's a really fun experience. You're at the opening night for American Utopia the other night. There was a ton of celebrities. We got to meet celebrities and take pictures. And, you know, it was, it was a fun thing. Love that. Love that. So if there's uh, one thing that you would uh, recommend for either a book or something to, for an invest, investor to get better at investing, what would you recommend right now? Um, you know, I, I've read a bunch of books. You know, the one thing that I find that a lot of people don't realize, and, and it's kind of a, a boring topic, <laughs> a boring <laughs> subject, what's really important is the tax uh, advantages that you can get from real estate, right? Yep. So completely legal, it's written in the tax code, but you have to know what's written in there. And unfortunately, there are a lot of CPAs out there that, that don't know it. So you want to make right. sure you get yourself educated. And there's a great book by Tom Wheelwright called Tax-Free Wealth. Um, I actually, you know, have hired the firm that, that Tom started. He doesn't even, uh, he's not nice. involved in it anymore. But, um, I, I, you know, my CPA works with their firm. But the, the reason why I got involved with them was because I read this book and went to my CPA and said, hey, can't we do X, Y, and Z? And they're like, no, you can't. And I'm like, well, this book kind of says that I can. <laughs> <clears throat> and then I started to learn that, you know, just not all the CPAs and all that stuff. So if you haven't read that book, it's, it's I think Tom does a good job of trying to make uh, a dry subject such as, taxes uh interesting and i think he does a pretty good job with making sure you don't fall asleep right away um but it's called tax-free wealth and i think it's a very good book he, he's part of the rich dad series uh, that, that he is he is yeah. he's awesome. he he is kiyosaki's cpa he still does cpa work but for you know uber high that says a lot that says a lot yeah that's awesome yeah yeah so it's a good book it's a good one so yeah jimmy wanna um well, we hope you enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast. Uh, check out our website, uh, www.cashflowkings.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook under The Cashflow Kings. And uh, we're going to leave it to your success.
Asheville King's program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal tax or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.